Good morning. Greetings. It's good to see each of you here this morning. As I was thinking on what I should present today to you all, what God would want me to share, my mind went to what in my life do I need help to do better in? Something I could study to help encourage a better life in myself and in that also bring something that hopefully could encourage you all as well. So that's a little background to what led me to where I come to today. How do we respond when things are not going well? When something comes up that's not the way we were hoping it would go, does it rob us? Do we let it rob us of the joy of the Lord? Or do we continue to serve him faithfully anyway? Do we let those circumstances get us down? Do we get discouraged? How do we respond? And that brought me to thinking of the life of Paul. Paul had a zeal that did not waver. He had a lot of things that did not go the way he would have wished for them to go. So you can turn with me, turn to Acts if you like. I'll be kind of bouncing through the life of Paul, picking out some highlights, do some reading, some telling of the story, and just think about how Paul responded, the challenges he faced, the zeal he had for the Lord, regardless of what was going on around him. I guess a little introduction first. Um, speaks to him here as being Saul, who later was called Paul, known as Paul. But a little background on him, uh, starting in chapter 7, the end of the chapter, is where we see Saul here. We're looking at this when Stephen was stoned, and they stoned Stephen, starting here in verse 59, and they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Now here we see Saul coming into the picture. And Saul was consenting unto his death, unto this is unto Stephen's death. At that time, there was a great persecution, and the church which was at Jerusalem, they and all scattered abroad throughout the region of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. I think I missed something. Saul was there, um, and as Stephen was being stoned, they laid coats of the people that were stoning him, laid their coats off to stone Stephen at the feet of Saul. Saul was in agreement with this death, this persecution. And as it goes on there in chapter 8, verse 3, Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committing them into prison. He had a zeal for what he was doing, and he gave it his best. So then as we continue on Saul's life, Go to Acts chapter 9. I'll read the first few verses here. 
And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined around him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he trembled and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul rose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man. But they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. If I understand correctly, this was in the middle of broad daylight, but this light was even brighter. It's, it struck him down. He was struck with blindness. And he had his conversion. Well, not yet. He was struck down. The Lord spoke to him. He went to Damascus. And it's interesting to me also here, he was struck with blindness. And we'll see later in Paul's life how God gave him the gift of striking some others with blindness when they were not cooperating. So. He was blind for three days. And then, uh, chapter 9, verse 17, God sent Ananias to him. And he was sent, sent to Saul to give him his sight back, to give him so he could receive the Holy Spirit and be baptized. After his conversion there, Go to uh, nine, chapter 9, verse 20. And straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues, that is, that he is the Son of God. So here immediately his focus switched. He was on fire now for the Lord all the way. He starts preaching boldly. But we'll see shortly that his life was to face many challenges. He was persecuting others prior to this, and his life was not going to be persecuted, persecution-free either. Uh, he was going to have some bumps along the way, and it didn't take long to get there. Just a couple verses later, uh, verse 23, chapter 9, And after that, after that many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill, it, to kill him. So here, very soon after his conversion, he's already being plotted against to kill him. The Jews are not happy with, with what he's doing. They don't agree with him. In verse 25, uh, the disciples took him by night and led him down by the wall in a basket. So they helped him to escape from the city for those who were waiting to kill him. 
Here he faces another challenge in verse 26. When he comes to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. So here he came, he's on zeal for the Lord, but the other disciples held him out at arm's length. They were afraid of him, and they probably had good reasons to be. So now what's he going to do with that? Uh, just, just another hurdle that comes his way to bring discouragement if he would let it. Young Christian, already at arm's length with the brotherhood, so to speak. I like this here, verse 27. Uh, Barnabas comes out of the woodwork and took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So Barnabas took him under his wing and also presented him as who he was, the changed man for Jesus. And then Saul continues preaching boldly. Next couple of verses, he preaches boldly. Um, just to come into another scrape of threatenings to murder him. So, again here, um, some brethren helped him to escape. Uh, verse 30 they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him forth to Tarsus, which I think was Saul's hometown. And um, he was there a little while serving the Lord, being faithful there. And uh, so we're going to jump a number of chapters. We're going to jump to chapter 11 of Acts, where we pick Saul back up again. And here we see uh, Barnabas. Barnabas came, um, I think, yeah, Barnabas came and looked for Saul, and together they took gifts, maybe I lost my place here, yeah, in 11, chapter 11, verse 25, Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus to seek for Saul. So here Barnabas was seeking out Saul again. Uh, he saw Saul as someone he wanted to go with him um, to the church at Antioch. So they went to Antioch for a while uh, and taught the people there of Christ. And there in Antioch is where the believers were first called Christians. In verse 30... They also did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So they took a gift to them, and they trusted here. You can see the people. Saul had been there for a while in Tarsus, but the people learned to trust him, and they were willing to send a gift with Barnabas and Saul to the church there in Antioch. So he, here he was trusted. They were learning who he was, and, uh, yeah, a drastic change from earlier. So a real blessing God is blessing him in many ways also. So then here shortly after this, um, 
So let's jump to verse 13. This is where we, what we typically look at is, is Paul's or Saul's first missionary journey. Barnabas and Saul are commissioned to go on a journey, a missionary journey. Um, here, 13, verse 1. And now they were in the now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Nagar and Lucius of Cyrene and Manian, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. As they ministered unto the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. So they go out on the first missionary journey. And um, it's here shortly that it's mentioned that Saul was also known as Paul. So from here on, he's referred to as Paul as we're going through his life today. We'll continue reading here. So they being sent forth by the Holy Ghost departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. And when they were in Salamis, and they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, they had also John to their minister. And when they had gone through the isle unto Patmos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew, whose name was Bar-Jesus, which was with the deputy of the country, Sergius Paulus, a prudent man who called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of God. But Elamus the sorcerer, for so his name is his name by interpretation, withstood them, seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. Then Saul, who also was called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him and said, Of all subtility and all mischief thou child of the devil the enemy of all righteousness wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the lord and now behold the hand of the lord is upon thee and thou shalt be blind not seeing the sun for a season and immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness and he went about seeking some to lead him by the hand so here was here was a sorcerer who was just causing a challenge as the deputy wanted to learn more of Christ, he was standing in the way, just causing problems for Saul to be able to witness to this deputy. And the Lord allowed Saul to strike him with blindness, to in one sense get him out of the way. The story continues on, Paul continues preaching in synagogues, different towns. We're going to jump to chapter 13, verse 50, about the end of the chapter there. Let's see where, where he ran into some more trouble. But the Jews stirred up the devout and the honorable women and the chief men of the city and raised persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and expelled them out of their coast. But they shook the dust off their feet against them, and came unto Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. So here again, they were had a mob against them. 
They escaped, and as they escaped, they shook off the dust off their feet as a sign there of, of their rejection. So then they're, they're in Iconium. Um, I guess we'll move on to, to chapter 14. Verses 1 through 7 here. Um, and it came to pass in Iconium that they went both together into the synagogue of the Jews and so spake that a great multitude both of the Jews and of the Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and made their minds evil affected against the brethren. Long time therefore abode they which speak boldly in the Lord, which gave testimony unto the word of his grace and granted signs and wonders to, do, to be done by their hands. But the multitude of the city was divided, and part held with the Jews, and part with the apostles. And when there was an assault made, both of the Gentiles and also of the Jews with their rulers, to use them despitefully and to stone them, they were aware of it and fled into Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and unto the region that lieth round about. And there they preached the gospel. So here again they were threatened to be stoned, and they had to escape again. Um, just every time they, they seems like they get going, spreading the gospel, preaching. There's those who are believing, and there's those who just get upset and threaten their lives. In verse ten. There, they, uh, there's a crippled man, and Paul heals him. He's able to walk. So here's another highlight, something that I think would encourage Paul that God allowed him to heal this man. But it doesn't take long, and he runs into the next problem. He healed this man, so suddenly now he must be a god. So the, the people there are trying to worship him. They're bringing out sacrifices, things. They're getting ready to sacrifice to him. And so they have to try their best to get that stopped. And no, we're just, we're just men like you are. We're not a god. We're not gods. Just kind of swings from one extreme to the next. Here again, it swings again. Not long after, uh, we go to... Verses 19 and 20 of chapter 14. They just, he was just, you know, not long before they thought he was God's, him and Barnabas. Now suddenly they're, they're getting stirred up again. They don't like what's being said. And um, they stone him. Paul is stoned. He's drugged out of the city. And they thought he was dead. They drug him out for dead. Some of the disciples come around him and he, he stood up. He was okay. Did Paul give up? No. He continued on. He kept going. We we'll read 14, um, chapter 14, verses 21 to 28. So they kept going. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and Antioch, confirming the souls of the, of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith 
and that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. And when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commanded, commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. And after they had passed through Phisida, they came to Pamphylia. And when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Antalya. And then sailed to Antioch, from whence they had been recommended to the grace of God for the work which they fulfilled. So they went back through encouraging people where they, in their path they had they'd been through and returned home to Antioch. So this was the end of, of their first missionary journey. And they were there for a little while, I'm not sure how long, but Paul was at home faithfully serving the Lord there in his hometown in the, the areas there, thereabout. Um, and in chapter 15, he had a rough journey there on his first journey, but Paul doesn't give up. He goes again for a second missionary journey. Acts 15, 40 to 41. And Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren unto the grace of God, and went through Syria and Sicily, confirming the churches. In chapter 16, they came to Derby. Then he came to Derby and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus, the son of a cert certain woman, which was a Jewess, and believed, but his father was a Greek. So they're joined by Timothy on this journey. Jump to chapter 16, verse 18. There's this, this girl, he heals a girl here who has an evil spirit that just continues to plague him and be a, be a problem. He heals her, sends the evil spirit out of her, and this causes more problems. Her masters are not happy. They, they gained, gained wealth through, through using her evil spirits for their benefit. So they stirred things up against Paul and and those here on the journey. And next thing you know, verses 23 and 24, they're in prison. They, they beat them, laid stripes on them, cast them in prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in stocks. What a discouragement. I mean, every time you get going, it's just, here we come again. But what did they do? It was about midnight. Paul and Silas were heard singing, praying to God, rejoicing. They obviously found something in the midst of this to rejoice and be thankful for. So the result of that we'll read chapter 16, 25 through 34 and we'll see a little bit what happened because of them finding something good in the midst of the darkness. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had fled. But Paul cried to him with a loud voice, 
saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. And when he called, then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. And they spoke unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized, he and all his straightway. And when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. So here we see another amazing thing happened, something you would not expect. The jailer and his family were saved as a result of their faithful cheerfulness in serving the Lord regardless of the circumstances. And then also another result of that was they were turned loose again. They were back out to continue on on their journey, preaching God's word. And on this journey, uh, they continued just preaching various towns, various places, facing some opposition here and there, and eventually returned uh, in chapter 18, verse 18. Uh, they returned back to Antioch, where they had started out, and that, that ends their second journey. On eight, verse 18, then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics encountered them, and some said, what? I think I'm in the wrong chapter. After, and Paul, after, his, after this, tarried there yet a good while, and then took his leave of the brethren and sailed thence to Syria, uh, which I think is Antioch, uh, with, with him, Priscilla and Aquila, having shorn his head in Centuria, for he had a vow. So they, they returned, the trip was over, uh, the second trip. But again, Paul doesn't give up. It's not long he's, he's going on the third trip, third missionary journey. There's, there's more people to share the gospel with. I'm not stopping here. The Lord wants me to go. So in chapter 19, verse 1, And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples. So here he goes out again, what we know as his third journey. Goes to Ephesus, and it's interesting, God gave him some special powers here. Verses 11 and 12, And God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul, so that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons, and the disease departed from them, and the evil spirits went out of them. So not only did he just lay hands on people and heal them, but they could bring a piece of cloth or something and touch his body with it and go back to the sick, and they were healed. So just a, a unique, special, miraculous power that God bestowed on him there as he was working with the people there and spreading, spreading the gospel, sharing his conversion experience with them.
I don't have a lot more to say about this journey. Um, but as he's, as he's going about, he faced, again, various oppositions here and there. In chapter 20, verse 22, I want to bring this out. Paul felt led to go back home, complete this journey, and go on to Jerusalem. And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall, be, that shall befall me there. So here he's, he's inspired to, to go back home, but not stop there, continue on to Jerusalem, and um, kind of has a, an inkling there that not everything's going to go well at that point, but it's, he felt led by the Spirit to go. So chapter, chapter 21, he returns. I thought I had to hear what verse he re, re, gets back to Antioch. Doesn't totally matter, but he, he made it back there. Um, chapter 21, verse 10 and 11, there's a prophet prophesied that he was going to run into trouble at Jerusalem. 21, 10 and 11, and he tarried there many days, and there came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. And when he was coming to us, he took Paul's girdle and bound his own hands and feet and said, Thus saith the Holy Ghost, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owneth this girdle and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. So he's warned here, it's not going to go well when you get to Jerusalem. You're going to be bound. And the believers there strongly opposed him going on. They tried hard to, to get him to stay, but he felt, no, he's, he's going on. What did he have to lose if he was serving his life for the Lord, that's where the Lord wanted him to go, he was going to go. So he went, verse 33, he had much more than got there, as it appears to me. Uh, he ran into trouble. Then the chief captains came near and took him and commanded him to be bound with two chains and demanded who he was and what he had done. So he got there and was witnessing, test, giving his testimony, and it just caused an uproar. And here again, um, just ran into trouble. And some of the, the, the chief captain came. They had to, had to rescue him out of the mob to protect him. And they were, they were taking, the soldiers would take him up to the castle to get him away from the people. As they're approaching the castle, going up the steps, Paul inquired of them, can I speak a word? And they were a little taken back. Um, and they, they gave him that, that uh, uh, opportunity. He stood there on the, on the steps, turned around to the mob, and gave his testimony, shared with them, and then... Um, uh, anyway, he had that opportunity to share with them, and they were silent and listened for a while. Uh, but then they had to take him on, take him on into the castle, uh, away from them. And as we see here in Jerusalem, he, he's going he's gonna to face trials time and time again. God gives him the opportunity to stand before different people 
different ranks of power, from the least to the greatest, God uses him to witness for him, for his kingdom. So in chapter 22, verse 30, Paul stands before the Sanhedrin or high council. On the morrow, because he would have known the certainty wherefore he was accused of the Jews, he loosed him from his bands and commanded the chief priests and all their council to appear and brought Paul down and set him before them. So if I understand correctly, this was the Sanhedrin where he was set before and was able to give his testimony to them. And I believe it was while he was there, uh, chapter 23, verses 2 through 5, he made a mistake and said something and he was slapped in the face. Twenty-three verses two through five. So he's here before the Sanhedrin, and the high priest Ananias commanded them that stood by him to smite him on the mouth. Then said Paul unto them, God shall smite thee, thou white wall, for sitteth thou to judge me after the law, and commandest me to be smitten contrary to the law. Paul knew the laws very well, and he knew what his citizenship was, and how different citizens were to be treated differently. But here in, in verse 4, And they that stood by said, Revilest thou God's high priest? Then said Paul, I wist not, brethren, that he was the high priest. For it is written, thou shalt, not speak of the rule, thou shalt not speak evil of the ruler of thy people. So here, I see the humiliation of Paul snapped. But he corrected it. He went on and was still given the opportunity to, to share there with the Sanhedrin what God wanted him to present to them. This was not the end. Shortly later, there was more than 40 men. They plotted to kill Paul. And Paul's nephew got wind of it. He went and told, told the chief captain about it. And the chief captain arranged for 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, 200 spearmen to take Paul that very night to Caesarea to Felix the governor. So he was taken out by night with a great band of protection and forwarded on to Felix the governor and there he would again stand trial before Felix. So in chapter 24 we see him, him there before Felix on trial he gave his testimony. He's not found to be guilty of anything that they can condemn him for. Um, he remains there in prison for two years. Um, I think part of that may have been just to appease the Jews. I'm not sure what all. But he was there in prison. Felix's term comes to an end, and Festus becomes a new governor. And within a couple of days, few days of him being governor, Paul was brought back up, mentioned, and so he's tried before Festus. 
So in chapter 26, uh, chap I'm sorry, chapter 25, verses 6 through 7 is when he stands on trial before Porcius Festus. 25 verses 6 and 7. And when he had tarried among them more than 10 days, he went down into. This is, let me back up. Start a little bit higher here in the passage. So it was right after Festus became the governor, the high priest and the chief of the Jews informed him against Paul and besought him and desired favor against him that he would send him for to Jerusalem, laying in wait in a way to kill him. So there was just a scheme going on again to kill Paul. They brought this to Festus' attention just right after he was made governor. And not too many days later, uh, they brought him, we'll get down to verses 6 and 7, and he's brought before Festus on trial. And when they had tarried among them more than... When, they had, when he had tarried among them more than ten days, he went down to Caesarea, and the next day, sitting on the judgment seat, commanded Paul to be brought in. And when he was come, the Jews which came down from Jerusalem stood round about and laid many grievous complaints against Paul, which they could not prove. So after hearing him out here again, Festus just didn't know what to do with the situation. He, he couldn't see any reason, according to law, to condemn this man. But in, in the midst of this, Paul, in verse 11, he appeals to Caesar. So that would be his next step to, to go to Caesar. Then King Agrippa comes onto the scene in, in uh, chapter 26. And Festus seeks some advice from, from King Agrippa. He just isn't sure what to do, how to present this to Caesar. So they bring him in before King Agrippa. So chapter 26 starts out, goes into, into that confrontation there with King Agrippa and Festus. We get to 26, verse 31 and 32. They just, and when they had gone aside, this is after they went out after the, the time there with Paul and trial, hearing him out. When they were going aside, they talked between themselves, saying, This man doth nothing worthy of death or of bonds. Then said Agrippa unto Festus, This man might have been set at liberty, if he had not appealed unto Caesar. So here they could have set him free, but because he had appealed to Caesar, you know, why did he make that mistake, it seems? Because he'd appealed to Caesar, he stays in bonds. He's going to be transported to Caesar for another trial. So in chapter 27, Paul and other prisoners are put on a ship, and they're, they're sent, sent out heading, heading for Rome, and they encounter a storm. In the midst of the storm, God showed Paul that he was to stand trial before Caesar. He was going to have that opportunity. And all 276 passengers on this ship, because of Paul, were going to be saved also. They had to stay with the ship and not jump off. And at one point, the lifeboats were some people trying to escape on that. And they stopped them to avoid that kind of thing. They cut the ropes, let the lifeboats go. They had to stay with the ship. The ship eventually, uh, chapter 27, verses 41 through 44, the ship broke apart, but everyone made it to safety on the island. When they got to the island, people welcomed them. They were there. 
They made a fire for them. And Paul was there again. They just went through this shipwreck. They're warming up. A snake comes out of the heat of the fire and just venomous snake and latches onto his hand. So here we see this thing flip-flopping again. Suddenly the people say, this guy's a murderer. He's got to be a bad person. And obviously, from what I gather, he would have, um, there may have been some things about him that would have showed he was with the prisoners on the, on the ship, that that was what part of the group he was. But this guy's a murderer. But the, he shook the snake off. They watch him. Nothing happens. He's fine. Suddenly he's a god. So here we go again, just from one extreme to the next. And, and I don't think that's what Paul, Paul wanted. He didn't want to be... He didn't want to be looked at as a murderer. He didn't want to be looked at as a god. He wanted to, people to see God through him. It just, you think you try to sway it from one way, something else happens another. You just can't get on top of it. But they stayed there a little while. I think it was around three months. And Paul was able to actually heal many people there. And through that, show them who God was and, and witness there for them. He didn't give up and just be a prisoner that, you know, here I'm stuck. He, he made it best of every opportunity. So after about three months, uh, chapter 28, verse 11, they sail on and head for Rome. When they get to Rome... I didn't find anything here about the trial. Maybe I didn't do good reading between the lines, but um, he was able to witness there to the Jewish leaders, and he was given a freedom, or I say freedom, he was allowed to preach and testify and just, again, serve the Lord there for around two years with not much interruption, just people left him alone, and he was able to, to do a lot for the Lord there. So that kind of brings me to the end of the story I was going to share with you today. And you know, as you look back at Paul's life, there were just numerous things, and, and I found it in 2 Corinthians, which is one of his letters. He speaks of the things he went through, and I'm not going to turn to that, but 2 Corinthians 11 speaks to that. But there's numerous things he faced here we talked of today. He was, he was mobbed. Um, numerous, numerous times he faced being mobbed or killed. He was stoned, he was beaten shipwrecked, venomous snake bit him. He had to stand before many people, kings, people, people of low, kings, rulers, governors, and just face challenges each time uh, just to be free to be head to the next challenge. He suffered a lot for Christ. And so I just want you all to think about, you know, how, how do... How do you each respond when challenges come your way? Do you get discouraged? Do you look to God for help? Do you trust him more? Do you doubt God and his wisdom and his plan for your life? You know, what's God thinking? Or do you thank God for his blessings? Maybe more personal, when a child is sick, then what? When a loved one dies, you or someone you know gets terminally diagnosed, terminally, terminally diagnosed, your vehicle breaks down and breaks down and breaks down. 
a neighbor stops to talk or needs to help with some, needs you to help with something, it changes your day. It changes what you would get done that day because you now don't have as much time for what you were planning. How do you let that affect the joy of the Lord that you have in serving Him? Business owners, some of your business owners, sometimes you, your business looks like it's going to, when you roll the dice, it'll roll a six. But somehow when that dice rolls, it rolls a one. How do you let that affect how you serve the Lord? When you're trying hard to cook a good meal, only, only to receive a comment that someone didn't really like it. How does that affect the way you serve the Lord? In everything, give thanks. In closing, I'm going to read from Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 to 23. And I'll leave you with these thoughts. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the spirit. Despise not prophesyings. Prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. Abstain from all appearances of evil. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord bless you all as you serve the Lord faithfully each day. Thank you, Brother Luke. Appreciate that exposure of one of God's servants and how he responded to life and the challenge that gives each one of us as we face a new year. Are we going to bring God that glory that he deserves and experience the joy in our, our lives as we deal with circumstances and problems? Again, I thank you. I was challenged and encouraged. Let's stand together for closing prayer. Brother Jeff, would you lead us?